trust God's word alone Where his perfect will is known Our traditions shift like sand While his truth forever stands We will live by faith alone Clothed in merit not our own All we claim is Jesus Christ And his finished sacrifice Glory be, glory be to God alone Through the church he redeemed and made his own He has freed us, he will keep us Till we're safely home Glory be, glory be to God alone. We are saved by grace alone, undeserved. Yet freely shown No accomplishment on earth Can achieve the second birth We will stand on Christ alone The unyielding cornerstone Nations rage and devils roar Still he reigns forevermore glory be glory be to god alone through the church he redeemed and made his own he has freed us he will keep us Till we're safely home Glory be, glory be to God alone Glory be, glory be to God alone Through the church He redeemed and made His own keep us till we're safely our service today. Uh, just a few notices uh, to begin with uh, before we start. Uh, first of all, uh, there is uh, tea and coffee after the service this morning, so you're welcome uh, to stay uh, and have, uh, have that. Uh, this evening we're meeting as usual at 6pm uh, here at the church for our evening service, uh, and Stephen Jones is coming to uh, preach. He's been here a few times uh, before, some of you will know him. Uh, I would encourage you uh, to come 
uh, and hear God's word uh, through him. Uh, a couple of uh, other things, in fact, one other thing for your diary, and that is that this uh, coming Thursday, uh, we are having uh, the prayer meeting. Uh, prayer meeting is here at church at 7.45 p.m. I was going to say a.m., but it's not a.m. <laughs> 7.45 p.m. Uh, prayer meeting this Thursday, and again, I encourage uh, everyone to come, uh, come to that. Well, let me begin by reading uh, some uh, words from Psalm uh, 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And from uh, many of us here this morning, and I hope uh, all of us here this morning will have this as our testimony, that God has lifted us out of the slimy pit and set our feet on the rock. He's lifted us from our sins and given us new life in Jesus Christ. And we're going to begin our service by worshipping God for that great salvation with the song, Who, O Lord, Could Save Themselves. Let's stand as we sing together.
take your seats. If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, and our reading this morning is going to be from verses 1 to 17. Uh, and Twala is going to come there and read that for us. Three, verse one. If, the, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And so, those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. God's word. In this uh, passage in Colossians, we see what Jesus has done for us. Uh, we've been raised with Christ. Uh, and then it talks about the therefore in verse 12, which is the response that we have as God's people uh, to live uh, with compassion and kindness and so on. Uh, and one of the uh, responses of the Christian to the gospel uh, is to sing uh, to each other. Uh, so when we sing, actually, we don't just sing um, uh, to, just to God. We do praise God, but also we're singing to and for one another to remind ourselves uh, of the truths of the gospel and praise God together. And we're going to do that now as we sing again. We have heard uh, the joyful sound, uh, Jesus saves. Let's stand as we sing this joyful song together.
please take your seats. I know it's been a few weeks, but it's still good, isn't it, to be able to sing together of God's people, of his great works and his salvation. It's also good to pray together, so let's bow our heads now uh, as we do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we can sing Jesus Saves. And we're singing something that is absolutely true. We thank you that you are the God of of all glory, of all honor. We thank you that you're the God who is over everything. And you are the God who loves us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And he's risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and sat at your right hand. And we can sing, Jesus saves from our sin. Heavenly Father, we do, in the light of that, though, confess our sin to you. We've read in uh, Colossians about putting sin to death, about ridding ourselves of things to do with our old nature. And we confess that we have not always done that. We confess our sin, our words that have been out of place, our actions that have been wrong, our thoughts that have been shameful. We confess these things to you and we repent of our sin and we pray this because we know that we can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And with thanksgiving, we come to you and we praise you for what you have done. And in response also, we pray that uh, Holy Spirit, you would come and help us to live together as God's chosen people. As we've read, bearing with each other, being at peace with each other, having the message of Christ dwelling in us richly. And it's with compassionate hearts, Heavenly Father, that we want to pray this morning for our brothers and sisters uh, who are in different uh, areas of distress. I pray this morning, Heavenly Father, for uh, the Harveys, David and Nancy, as David uh, goes through his cancer treatment. We thank you that it's going well, uh, that it's uh, improving his uh, life um, and and his health. Uh, And we pray for continued improvement uh, with the treatment that he's having. Uh, Help them both to know your peace and your presence as they go through their treatment. We pray uh, the same for Carol Whitehouse. We continue to pray for her and John to know uh, the presence and the peace of Jesus Christ. We pray that they would know the love of your people. And we pray that you would bring healing to Carol's body. We pray as well this week for Pat Davies as she goes for her operation and pray that that would go well. Uh, We thank you that she's able to receive the care uh, of your people in the church uh, this week as well. And we pray for Jenny Christopher. Please, would she be able to recover uh, from her pneumonia? Please, Lord, bring healing to her body and help her and Pete in their time of need. 
We thank you we can lift up these brothers and sisters, and there are others, Lord, who are going through various kinds of difficulties. We thank you that you place us in the church, in a family of believers who love and care for each other. Help us to do that well for the good of your people, for the glory of your name, as a beacon of light in a dark world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've sung of Jesus uh, saves, and the response to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is to give everything to him. And our next song uh, speaks of that, that stand together and sing King of Kings, Majesty.
please uh, take your seats. And if you turn uh, in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, we're going to be uh, this morning in verses 37 to 42. In the church Bibles, uh, that's page 1094. That's in the green uh, church Bibles, 1094. Acts 2, 37 uh, to 47. Well, we've been uh, studying Acts chapter 2 now for a a number of uh, weeks when I've been preaching in the morning. Uh, Just to give a little recap as to where we are as we get to verse 37, because people are coming and going on holiday and different things. Uh, At the beginning of Acts chapter 2, there are 120 believers uh, in a room. That was the the whole kingdom of God, really, in one place, 120 of them. Uh, And the Holy Spirit came uh, in power, uh, and those uh, disciples began to speak in tongues, in different languages, uh, and they declared, we read, the wonders of God. So people uh, were able to hear the wonders of God in their own languages. And at Pentecost, there were many different uh, people there from different nations, all able to hear about uh, the wonderful works of God. Uh, But people were wondering what on earth is going on uh, with all of these these tongues, these languages. How is it we can hear uh, about God's wonderful work in our own tongues? Uh, And Peter then preaches a sermon where he begins by saying, a new era has come. Uh, The Holy Spirit has come. It's a new day. Uh, We are in the last days before the coming day of judgment uh, when Jesus comes again. Uh, And then he uh, ends that section by saying in verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved from this coming day of judgment. And last time uh, when we were in Acts chapter 2, we saw Peter explain who the Lord is. He has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord. And Peter explained how it is that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. And he showed us that Jesus is the Lord on display. He's the Lord who died. He's the Lord who defeated death. And he is the Lord who divinely rules as he sits now at the Father's right hand. And Peter summarized in verse 37 uh, his sermon with these words, or verse 36 rather. He says, let therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then we come to verse 37 where we see the response of the people. So let's read verses 37 uh, down to verse 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. And I've entitled this last uh, section of Acts chapter 2, What Shall We Do? Which is really what the people were asking, wasn't it, in verse 37 in response uh, to Peter's message. Well, the people uh, who were hearing this have just been told uh, they have put Jesus to death. And just a few weeks before that event happened, Jesus was crucified, and it was these very people whom Peter was speaking to who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But really, this can apply to any one of us. We can say that we have put Jesus to death. Because putting Jesus to death is what they did in their rejection of Jesus Christ. The most grievous sin that we commit is not lying or adultery or murder or any one specific thing. The most grievous sin is the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the cardinal sin, really, of which the Holy Spirit here convicts. The rejection of Jesus Christ. And that's the the kind of the disease of which the symptoms of all other kind of sins uh, come from. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. And the people here are faced with the truth that they've murdered Jesus. And so they are feeling, no doubt, the guilt and the weight of what they have done in their rejection of Christ. Not only that, they have heard and realize that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And because of that, they know that they are going to face Jesus Christ as the judge for their sin. And so with the realization of what they have done and what's to come because of that, they realize there is nothing they can do. And they are, we read in verse 37, cut to the heart. Notice that. Notice how they are convicted of their sin. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's a a deep distress. It's a reaction to realizing they are ruined. It's like in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the glory of God, he says, I am ruined. Woe is me, I am ruined. Have you ever felt this way about your sin? Have you ever been broken by the fact that your sin meant that, the G, that Jesus Christ's death was necessary. Is, is cut to the heart a description ever of you? What's your response when a preacher points out a blatant sin in your life? 
Do you just ignore it? Well, here they are cut to the heart. And that really is how we should feel about our sin. Now, being a Christian is not, does not mean that we therefore need to be in a, a constant state of misery. That's not the way we should live. We rejoice in the fact that we're forgiven, but neither should we live our lives completely oblivious to our sin. There are times when this response is appropriate for us as Christians, isn't it? When was the last time you were cut to the heart because of your own sin? Well, being cut to the heart here is a work of the Holy Spirit convicting people of their sin. As Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit was working. But praise God, cut to the heart is not where the people are left. Look at the end of verse 37. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So we don't remain cut to the heart. We respond to that conviction with a question like this. What should we do? And that's a great response uh, to preaching. It, it, it would be wonderful if that happened all the time, wouldn't it? We preach a message and there's a whole queue. What shall we do? <clears throat> well, if the preacher's a good preacher, he'll let you know in the sermon. He'll save himself a lot of time later on. And we'll see uh, Peter does do that. But the passage we're reading this morning explains the answer to that question. What should we do in response to the message that Jesus is Lord, judgment is coming, and I'm cut to the heart? What should we do? And really there are two, uh, two points to this uh, sermon, two points to this passage. There is something to turn yourselves from, and there is something to devote yourselves to. Something to turn yourselves from, something to devote yourselves to. So first of all, something to turn yourselves from. And I use the word turn because that's the meaning of the word repent in verse 38. The word repent means to change direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change in action. A turning from sin to Jesus Christ. That's what repentance means when we read that word in the Bible. When the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, the right response is repentance. Now, there might be a, an objection that some people might make to say, well, if I'm called to do something, i.e. repent, is my salvation my work? Does my repentance cause me to be right with God? Well, the answer to that question is no. Notice how the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin. Notice in verse 39 how it's God who calls. And so our repentance is a response to the work God is doing in us. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in the finished work of Christ on the cross. But the sign that you've been forgiven of your sins and have been given new life in Christ is that you repent and turn from your sin to him. So Peter, first of all, calls us to turn from our sin, to repent. But linked to repentance in verse 38 is be baptized. So to be baptized means, uh, the word baptism means to dip or immerse in water. 
And it's a, a sign of new life, a sign of repentance. Uh, in, uh, at this time, Jewish uh, people would baptize non-Jews who were turning to Judaism. It was a sign uh, of their conversion to the Jewish faith. And the the Christians, uh, Jesus Christ himself, took this upon himself as a sign of new faith in him. And the same principle applies uh, today for us. Baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, a sign that we have repented. Now, baptism does not save you. But it does show the work that God has already done. Every New Testament Christian was baptized. It was a necessary sign of obedience. If we are saved, we will be baptized. And notice in verse 38 how this repentance and this baptism is, he says, for every one of you. Every person. So there's not different ways to heaven depending on your personality. There's not a different way, a a special case. Uh, There's not different levels of sinfulness that means that some people need to repent just a little bit more or a little bit less. Every one of you needs to repent and be baptized. That's true to the crowd that was in front of Peter. That's true for every one of you sitting here today and for me standing here. Repent and be baptized Every single one of you. That's the response to the message of Jesus. And notice that we we repent in baptized in one name. In the name, it says here, of Jesus Christ. Only he saves. It's in his name and his name alone. But notice at the end of verse 38, the benefits of repentance and baptism We see here the benefits for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we turn from sin and and follow Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of all of our sins. It doesn't say um, unless it's these sins, it's all of our sins. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive that enlightenment to God's will and the enablement to carry it out as we repent and are baptized. And notice as well, if you are wondering, could this possibly be for me? Notice verse 39. It says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So it's for for those that were there on the day of Pentecost. That promise of forgiveness uh, and the Holy Spirit is for everyone that was in that crowd It was for their children, so it was for future generations, and I believe also for children, literally. So uh, Christianity is not only for adults. Children can come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, children are called to repent and be baptized as well. they're, They're called to repentance. But also it's for those who are far off. Now that means non-Jewish people. So in Ephesians chapter 2, notice similar language here. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. 
without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're a child. It doesn't matter if you are uh, not Jewish. It doesn't matter if you feel you are far, far away from God because this promise is for all whom the Lord our God will call. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? That the gospel is for everyone who will repent and be baptized, putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, notice uh, verse 40. Peter continues to preach. It says there, uh, with many other words. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, It means that Luke wrote here the sermon notes of what Peter was saying. Uh, Acts chapter 2 will take you um, minutes to read, but it wasn't all that Peter said on that day. It was the the sermon notes. Uh, He had many other words. It doesn't say how long he preached for, but with many other words, he was urging the people to repentance and baptism. Notice uh, what he was saying in verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Notice that. He, he, this wasn't timid. This wasn't a message of, why don't you give Jesus a try? You might like him. This wasn't a case of, of, of being uh, quiet or shy This was the most important message in the world. And so he warns and he pleads with people. This was a passionate pleading to be saved. Notice in verse 40, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Uh, The words corrupt generation come actually from the book of Deuteronomy. When when Tim comes back, you'll hear him uh, use those words when we get to that stage in Deuteronomy. Uh, But it speaks of a people that have turned their back on God, a corrupt generation. And really, every generation can be described as a corrupt generation. We are in a corrupt generation. And so just like Peter, the job of the preacher is to say, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And I say on the authority of, of these scriptures that same thing. I'm not saying give Jesus a go, you might like him. I'm not saying it might be a good idea to follow Jesus. I'm saying, and I'm pleading with you, save yourselves from this corrupt generation because the judgment of God is coming. And the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ. And so I urge you, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, what was the response? Look at verse 41. Some accepted the message, didn't they? Those who accepted the message were baptized. Some of them believed, they repented and were baptized. And 3,000, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that wonderful? In one sermon, I don't think we see this very often, but in one sermon... The kingdom of God grew from 120 believers to about 3,120 believers. Isn't that amazing? The power of the Spirit through the word of God preached. However, as exciting as that is, 
There were hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem that day. And so there were many, many that did not accept the message as well. But nevertheless, I would would accept 3,000, right? But it's tempting to think that these verses are just for unbelievers. I mean, we're only baptized once, right? But repentance is not a one-off event. It's ongoing through our lives. The Christian life is a a life of, of turning to Jesus all the time as we're fighting the temptations of the flesh. We need to recognize still that we sin. We should still be cut to the heart and heed the call to repentance. And so I encourage you just this week, maybe even at church tonight where uh, we're having uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, just as we're reminded again of what Christ has done, take the time to think about your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, turn to him and follow Jesus. Well, in response to Jesus, then we turn from sin. Turn yourselves. But as we turn from, there is also a turning to, isn't there? So what did turning to Jesus look like for these new Christians? Well, it looked like devotion. And that's the second point. Devote yourselves to Following Jesus Christ is not a solo pursuit. It is living in a community with other followers of Jesus. And a clue to this is found in these verses. So in verse 40, we read that they, those that were saved were added to their number. So there was, if you like, a, a membership role. They, they recognized those who were saved. They were added to their number. They lived in community. In verse 44, all the believers were together. In verse 46, they met every day. So as we look at what they're devoted to, it's in the context of a community that is meeting together. And I think it's uh, appropriate to say in our day, meeting together physically, right? That's what they were doing. Now, over the last 18 months, of course, we, we've had, had, to, had to have online church. It's been, uh, it's been necessary. It's been a blessing when we've not been able to meet together. Uh, for some who are very sick, that is still what they, uh, all that they can do. Uh, but that's not normal, is it? That is not normal. Uh, this church in Jerusalem was the first church. It's a model church. And we see here that God intends his people to be together. And we'll see not just on a Sunday either. Now, of course, there there was structure and organization in this church. Uh, That comes a bit later on in Acts. But when we look at what is the basics of a church, we can say from this passage, this is what the basics of a church is. It is a community of believers who are devoted to four pursuits together. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So we're going to look at those four things. But first of all, I think it's worth defining what does devoted mean. What does it mean to be devoted? Well, the, the, the Greek word from which we get this translation, devotion, means to, to not give up. It means to pursue a goal without stopping. 
And if we want an illustration of what it means to be devoted, we have a, 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 the perfect illustration uh, at the moment if we just look at the Olympic athletes. They are examples of uh, real uh, devotion. Uh, just one example. I was reading an article this week about the swimmer Adam Peaty. Some of you may uh, recognize that name. Uh, he is the world record holder and gold medalist for uh, the 50 meters and 100 meters breaststroke. He's devoted to swimming, right? So his parents, when he was a boy, uh, were not rich, and they had to sacrifice a lot of money to buy equipment. Now, I laughed at that at first, because I thought, how much is a pair of swimming trunks? Uh, but apparently, to, in order to train properly for swimming, you do need lots of different things. But they had to wake up, this was as a teenager, at 4 a.m. and take him to training. Then he had to go to school, and then he'd have to go back to training, getting home at 10.30 in the evening. He, right now, he swims thousands of miles a week in order to be ready to swim 50 meters or 100 meters. He, he, he has to watch what he eats to the extent where he has to say no to all the food, which many of us think just tastes nice. <laughs> he can't go out of his friends and do those kind of things that they'd be doing because he has to be dedicated to his training. Uh, there's a great picture of him in lockdown, which I'm, I hope you can see on the screen. He couldn't go to the swimming baths, so he built a pool in his garden, and you see him there tied to a rope so that he can keep doing... I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing with my arms, I'm obviously not a swimmer, but keep doing, uh, keep doing the breaststroke uh, as he's uh, in the pool. Every day, without fail, thousands of miles when he was a teenager, this is what he said about being a teenager. I saw kids I trained with messing around in the pool or not taking it seriously. Because of my background, I literally thought that I couldn't afford to do that. There was a massive sacrifice in terms of time and money. Without competition, I can't really live. I love winning. I love the opportunity to win. I wasn't going to waste that. If you want an illustration of devotion, that's an illustration. And if you think, well, and you're right to think in a, in a way, well, we're not in a competition as Christians. You are right, we're not. But the New Testament regularly compares the devotion of the Christian to that of an athlete. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about running with endurance, doesn't it? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14, Paul writes, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Later on in that same chapter, verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Philippians chapter 3 Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, correct, we are not in a competition, but we are called to be devoted 
I would say no less than an athlete like Adam Peaty is called to be devoted to his competition. Now, we're not aiming for gold medals. We're not aiming to stand on a platform in the same way, but there is a heavenly reward. And what we're shown here in Acts is that is the right response to what Jesus has done for us. And so, the response of devotion is shown in the devotion to four pursuits here. First of all, so all of them are found in verse 42. First of all, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles' teaching is the spoken words and the letters of the apostles. Uh, The New Testament was written by apostles or companions of the apostles. And the apostles taught from the Old Testament, so they believed that the Bible we have here is the inspired word of God. And so as we're applying this, we can say that as a church, we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is the whole Bible. A true church is devoted to God's word. And we show that in a number of ways. We show that through biblical preaching, where the focal point of our worship together is the word of God preached. We show that in how we follow the Bible, in how we run our church. We, 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 as we, we organize ourselves, we try to follow what we believe the scriptures are saying. As we, um, we live our lives as members, we encourage each other to follow what God's word says. As we sing songs, we don't sing uh, just, you know, pop songs. Sometimes at Holiday Club, we might change the words to pop songs to make them biblical, but we sing truth, don't we? We sing truth from the scriptures. Every song we sing, we should be able to say, well, we sing that because of this in the apostles' teaching. We study the Bible together, not just on Sundays, but at other times during the week. We study in home group. Uh, a, devoted, a church devoted to the apostles' teaching will have people meeting together uh, on one-to-ones. As we encourage each other, we give each other Bible verses. Even our individual study as Christians is important in the sense that if we're growing in our understanding of Scripture, we can give that out to others. And we should be excited to hear God's Word preached, shouldn't we? We should be. We should come on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening and we should be saying, please God, speak today, regardless of who it is preaching. So let's make sure as we come to church in devotion to this book, we really have an attitude of straining to hear what God has to say. So, devoted to the apostles' teaching, then devoted to fellowship. Now, often fellowship has been sadly reduced to just having a cup of coffee after church. Now, that's part of it. Coffee's good um, and all of that. Uh, But fellowship is so much more than coffee. Fellowship is participating in life together. To be devoted to fellowship actually is to be devoted to one another. Now, it can mean a number of things, but here's some examples of what being devoted to fellowship means. It means that we are working together in the service and mission of the church. It's getting stuck in to helping however you can, working in that common cause. Being devoted to fellowship is doing life together day by day. Phone calls, the helping each other, 
the times of encouragement, being in each other's homes, looking out for each other's needs. Now, I've noticed uh, more and more how absolutely weird this kind of life is to the world. Uh, Sometimes when my family come over to stay at our house, they wonder what on earth is going on sometimes when people come uh, come over. Sometimes uh, when new people come to church and we say, do you want to come over for dinner? It's such a strange thing. It's, uh, and, and that's understandable because it is weird, isn't it? But for the Christians, this should be something we're devoted to. Uh, look at verse 46 for a, a good definition of, of fellowship. Uh, in verse 46, we read there, every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, We read there as well in uh, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody sold everything and it all went into one pot. That's a common misconception. But what it means is this, when the church people saw a need... They were so devoted to fulfilling the needs of each other that some even sold their own property to meet the needs of others. It's a radical generosity to one another as they see needs. It's a little bit like a family. In fact, it's not a little bit like it is exactly like a family. When I was talking about Adam Peaty, what did his parents do? They gave up stuff in order to make sure he had what he needed to do his training. And we should be willing to give up stuff, even at times selling stuff, we read here, in order that others can meet their needs of pursuing that goal of following Christ. Now, there's a lot there to unpack, what I haven't got time to do now, but that was the kind of radical generosity that they had. Uh, Another example of of, uh, devotion to fellowship, actually, is singing. Singing is a participatory activity, isn't it? It's done together. Now, there is a a place for singing in the shower and all of that kind of stuff. I understand all of that. But in church, as we sing, we sing together. We sing for each other. I mean, how rubbish would church be if we didn't... If we didn't sing when we could sing? (laughs) And it was bad enough when we couldn't sing, right? But when we're able to sing, now that we are, we should be singing... Not just because I want to have a, a good time with God and this great experience, but we sing to, 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 to raise our voices together and encourage each other and share each, with each other the truth that we're singing. Because isn't he worthy of praise? Isn't he worthy of our voices? Yes, he is. That's part of fellowship. And we saw that in verse 46 as they're praising God together. At its most basic level, being devoted to fellowship means that they showed up in each other's lives. They showed up to the meetings they had together. They were devoted. Now, this is a challenge for us, isn't it? There's so much that can take up our time. There's so much that we can be devoted to. Let me ask you a question. Is there something you're more devoted to than Jesus Christ. I've got three challenging questions for you in relation to devotion to fellowship. 
These aren't rules that I'm laying out. These are questions to challenge yourself with. Okay? Challenging question number one. Why, if this is you, why are you not at church when you can be at church? Now, there's no hard rule in the Bible about two services on a Sunday and a midweek meeting. But they met here every day, didn't they? Now, you might say, well, Steve, you're being a bit legalistic. Well, why do we applaud Adam Peaty for his devotion? And then the Christian who wants to be at every meeting is a legalist. There's a a disconnect there, isn't there? At least, I would encourage you, assess your reasoning. Now, there are some valid reasons, I accept, for not being uh, in church. Uh, There are childcare issues that some have. Uh, Some are homebound. Um, I'm not speaking about holidays and all that kind of thing. Uh, But assess your reasons for not being at church. There are some valid ones, but there are also some very poor ones. Poor reasons for not being at church, like I don't like the songs. I don't like this particular preacher. I'm not feeling 100%. Well, who is? (laughs) I mean, who is 100%? With, with health challenges, let me encourage you in this, in, to test yourself in this way. I found this helpful. Am I healthy enough to go out and do my hobbies, but I can't come to church? That's a good test. If you're healthy enough to go do almost anything else, there's a question on your devotion, isn't there? Some people say, I can't be bothered. Some people think they've done their bit by coming to whatever they've done. Those are bad reasons, aren't they? So, number one, why are you not at church? Assess your reasons. Number two, are you in contact with your brothers and sisters apart from Sundays? If not, you should be. Give someone a ring. Encourage them this week. Have someone over for a coffee. And then thirdly, are you actively involved in serving the church where you are able? I'm not talking necessarily about official ministries, although ask for opportunities, they are there. But just basic things like helping set things up, tidying up, giving lifts, and so on and so forth. Now hear me, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm asking you to to challenge yourself with these questions. Because when we read this passage, I don't think I'm out of line in asking them when we look at the devotion to the fellowship that these disciples have. So apostles teaching, fellowship. Then thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, That's another name for the Lord's Supper. Usually in the early church, it was part of a meal. But it refers to the bread and wine uh, supper that Jesus instituted at the Passover. It's how we remember the death of Jesus. And we affirm together as we break bread that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay the price for sin. And the Lord's Supper in this way preserves the truth of the gospel. Because we're all saying to each other we believe the same. And it preserves unity in that way too. 
How can I remain angry with my brother and sister when I see them across the church taking the same bread and the same cup that I am taking? But they were devoted to it in that they, they, they did it regularly and it was important to them. And I was struck during the lockdown, as a, just my own personal confession, of, of how uh, I wasn't as bothered as I feel I should have been that we couldn't take the Lord's Supper. I missed church, I missed being with people, I missed singing and all of that, but I should have been, I feel, more hungry to eat the bread and drink the cup. I don't know whether anyone else felt the same thing, but I realized when we couldn't take it that I should be more hungry for it than I was. And so I need to, to, to be more devoted in that way to the breaking of bread. And fourthly and finally, they were devoted to prayer. And the context here is, is community prayer, because they're meeting together to pray. Uh, prayer is God's means of blessing his people. Uh, and it says uh, in verse 46, uh, every day, oh sorry, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is it any wonder that God blessed the church in this way when they were praying together in the way that they were devoted to it? Now, that's not to say that um, if everyone comes to prayer meeting, we're definitely going to have 3,000 people saved. That's not, not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God's means of blessing his people is through the prayers of his people. And prayer meeting is never the best attended meeting of the church, is it? But I encourage you to join us Join us in prayer as we meet together and be devoted to praying for the work of God. There's a prayer meeting on Thursday. Great opportunity for you to come and pray with God's people. I'm kind of, I think I'm going to stop there. I feel like we've been uh, perhaps challenged enough. That is a, it's a challenging passage, isn't it, when we look at the devotion of those early Christians and God's word does challenge us. If you're kind of feeling really uncomfortable, uh, that's a good thing. God's word does that for us. But it's worth the challenge because of the blessings of being devoted. Look at how the church grew. Look at the, the, the gladness that they had together and the praise. Don't, don't you want this? Don't you long for, for this kind of, of gladness and uh, people being added to the, to the numbers of the church. I, I long for this. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if we're this devoted and people were being added to our number? Let's pray uh, that this would happen. Now, this is not a pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray that God would convict us through his Spirit and enable us to walk in the ways that he calls us to here. As we finish this little series in Acts chapter 2, I would encourage you to read it again. Be encouraged that you have the Holy Spirit as a Christian. Be encouraged by what Jesus has done for us. And then let us respond in the right way to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to respond by singing together, and in light of what we've uh, seen uh, today, 
Let's really go for it as we sing. Our final song is a, a good response to uh, this passage. Uh, it's, O church, arise and put your armor on. So let's stand together. Let's rise up. Let's sing out and hear this call to follow Jesus.
Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word uh, does challenge us. Uh, We think of those saints of old, uh, some of which we've read about in Acts chapter 2. And we pray that we would have that devotion to you because you are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, of our all. And so we commit this morning to following Jesus Christ as our King. And we ask, Lord, that as we do that, we would receive your blessings and that you would indeed add to our number those who are being saved. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Surpassing all the rest, it's a-